you are at the net. Welcome to another episode of At The Net Podcast, brought to you by Tex-Mex Productions. On the soundboards, moving the dials and buttons, are producers D-Mac and Dave the Brain. Join me in welcoming your hosts, Craig Bell and A.J. Chabria, who are talking tennis, what is trending, and maybe even life as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig and A.J. All right, thanks to our At The Net Podcast girl for that fabulous introduction, and welcome fans of the great game. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 33 of At The Net Podcast with A.J. Chabria. That's you, right? Yes, sir. And CB1, that's you, Craig. That's me talking the great game of tennis as it seems Seems to to us. us. I noticed how you spelled it, S-E-A-M-S. That's correct. Very nice. That's that's, that's our good Oklahoma way to to do that. Thanks also go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Productions. That would be one Darian D. Mac McBrayer and Dave the Brain from Back of the House who are on the soundboards moving the dials and buttons to make us sound like real people. We're real people tonight, aren't we? We're real people. We are, uh, I normally say we're real people. We are live, but today... Yes. We're live at the moment, but yes. we're taping. Yes. And I can't wait for this show. This guy is hilarious. Uh, we're, um, we're practicing good social distancing, too. We are. We got the the four racket lengths, yes. which is at roughly least. six feet. At least, yeah. at least that. Uh, also, be sure to check out our good work on iHeart. iHeart Radio, that is. iHeart Radio. Yeah. Wow, we're on there. Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. Not e- and, <laughs> iTunes. What, I don't know what, what I said right there. Google Podcast. Anchor. Breaker, 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 CastBox, Overcast, Pot, Pocket Cast, Radio, Public, and Spotify. Uh, basically, all the communication sites that you kids find. Did popular. you hit Fireside? Because that was kind Fireside. of a, that was the the, the oh, yes. date we brought that brought us. You know, yeah, Fireside. So we got to dance with the okay. Date yeah, we're gonna say yeah. Fireside. And then, yeah. if you're a female, sorry guys, who would like to read the opening intro for Athenet podcast and be an Athenet girl, girl. What's a girl? Have you heard a girl? God, I'm making. <laughs> terrible tonight for some reason girl let us know as we always look for new female voices do the intro even in a foreign language i might add it's been too long since i did the intro i guess so but tonight we are glad to have at the net with us this evening the one the only there's only one of you fred schlesinger hey fred how you doing this evening what's up fred I am on top of the world, and uh, I'm in full survival mode these days full as survival you should mode. be are you practicing good quarantine habits right now uh, I'm I'm sa- practicing among among safe sex, yeah. uh, social distancing. <laughs> that frankly, after all these years, my wife is thrilled that I'm practicing that because she says I'm I, uh, <laughs> I'm just too much for her sometimes. So she, she loves the six feet apart or six feet of separation, as she calls it. You, you, don't, and, you, don't, you don't need the little blue pill. I take it then, right? No, I, not yet, Craig. I'm, <laughs> I'm not that old. I'm old, but I'm but I'm extremely uh virile and i don't need any um uh any accoutrements uh for me to uh enjoy our marital life so ladies, I'm, ladies and gentlemen he, he speaks french and i do have barbara's cell phone number to, to confirm all this stuff oh really yeah. okay right. so uh so Barbara, hey, wait a second. How did you get her cell phone? <laughs> we have ways, my friend. We have ways. We're very good. Our research department uh, is uh, on one of the best, on top of the world. He yeah, digs we, deep. Yeah, we dig deep. And we're also very happy to have Fred. Fred's a friend of ours from many, many years, a uh, local tennis player in the yeah. Dallas community, uh, financial uh, advisor. Uh, right now we're, we're in some financial times. Hopefully the market did come back today, didn't it? It rallied big time, right? Yeah. Yeah, the market came back about uh, 2,100 points, but uh, understand that it's going to continue to be incredibly volatile 
for the next several weeks into possibly the next several months. So as a financial advisor, I have about 400 active clients and I am incredibly studious as far as keeping my ear to not only the financial ground, but to the medical ground. And um, I'm, I'm trying to stay ahead of the curve if possible to be able to give my clients the best possible service during these uh, very, very challenging and unsettling times. Yes, it's, it's not been a, a fun ride for anybody. That's why we're practicing social distancing tonight. Normally, we'd be on Facebook Live here at uh, at the net, but tonight we are practicing just our audio unplugged version, what we're calling this unplugged with Fred Schlesinger. So hopefully uh, we'll be back uh, at it uh, you know, next week with a uh, Facebook Live, uh, figure out a way to, to do this for uh, for at the net, but uh, Fred's also, in addition to uh, being a financial uh, advisor, also uh, has done a lot with uh, tennis in the community. Uh, served on uh, various USTA committees, uh, been a captain of USTA teams, uh, part of the uh, United Way Jewish Family Services. You know, you've you've done a lot of community work out there. I think you uh, teach at Collin College, if I'm not correct. Adjunct yes. professor, also too, I guess. Is that what? Yes, you're I, I've taught. Uh, elective uh, classes uh, for their continuing ed for 10 years. I do, uh, gentlemen, I do a lot of volunteer work in what is called the transitional community, and I don't know if you know uh, that that exists in no. Dallas. Tell us about it. But it's, it's really a fancy term for unemployed, oh. and I speak uh, to Jewish Family Services, senior source, uh, do a lot of work for these uh, career placement groups and um i do three completely different workshops but the one i focus into for people looking for their next chapter in life is a uh, branding workshop and it's called be a better brand so we help people either brand or rebrand themselves i do them for a lot of organizations and companies and uh branding is a very very hot topic uh in the business community and uh i do a lot of coaching one-on-one -on -one as well and it's kind of a, a, a stride that I found over the last six years, and and I love it. I love helping people, and and I love giving back to the community. Well, that's if anybody wants to uh, listen to the podcast and wants some information, where can they find you, Fred? Just give a quick plug, shout out to what where you, where you can be found. If you want what, uh, emails or my, my one and only email is Schlesinger S H L E S I N G E R dot Fred at principal, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-A-L dot com. And frankly, your listeners can call me directly on my cell phone. I'm like Denny's. I'm always open at 972. 24-7, 365. 24-7, 365, around the clock. 972-841-2122. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be more than happy uh, to talk to them about branding, talk to them about sales, talk to them about comedy, talk to them about music, talk mm. to them about tennis, and that's pretty much the five legs to my stool. Fred, you are such a New Yorker. You've literally got the New York area code in the in the last four digits of your number. You got two on two in the, uh, I guess you'd say, suffix of your phone number. You know, you're the only one that has ever picked up on that, and I... My hat is off to you. I mean, I can't believe, and I handpicked that from. I'm trying to remember the name of the company that was Verizon before it was Verizon. It was out of Mid Atlantic. Um, yeah. I, can't, I can't. But yeah, I was able to pick my um, my actual cell phone number. This is going back over 20 years ago, but yeah. brilliant, 
brilliant uh, observation. Thank well, you. Well, I, I, uh, he's I, just not another pretty face, <laughs> Fred. You know, Adrian, Adrian's got some uh, some chops here. You know, he's our uh, he's absolutely. our he's our top notch R and D department man. So I, I have peaked, and that was it. And uh, thank you for <laughs> it's drop the mic and go home. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. That's right. <laughs> Well, also to Fred's a graduate of the NYIT, the New York Institute of Technology, Technology. the Bears, the Bears. Back in the uh, back in the early seventies, and um, uh, I grew up um, uh, on Long Island. Very proud of it. Very proud to be a an ex New Yorker, but uh, New York remains uh, deep in my soul. It's uh, what I'm all about. But I'm also very proud to say that I've lived in Texas, and I'm. Uh, a card carrying Texas Texan since I've lived here for over 25 years. So I'm, I'm proud of that kind of balance, that yin and yang, that New York, Texas, because both states have an amazing attitude. Both states have a, a state of mind, as Billy Joel once wrote. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a bravado to New Yorkers and a bravado to Texans as well. So that's uh, uh, very astute also, too, the observation from uh, – from Fred, even though he, can you say you all? Can you say you all yet? Have you figured that out as a New Yorker? Uh, as a New Yorker, I say shalom, you all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what what a mensch, and we're happy to have you down yes. here in Texas. Yeah, so that. Aye, aye, not that's right, Gentile. Huh? Yeah, right. We're, we are with that introduction right now. Tell us how you got involved in the great game. Come, there's got to be a story involved in this. Absolutely, uh, my father who uh, was not was so much more than my father. My father was my was my best friend. He was my life's mentor, and we were inseparable uh, growing up in my um, in my early years, right through my teens. And um, we played a ton of golf and a ton of tennis together. As a matter of fact, my father built a a, a three quarter tennis court because we didn't have enough room to build a full length tennis court. And uh, he built uh, what, what in those days was called paddle tennis. Now T-Bar-M calls it pedal tennis mm-hmm. and everything else. But, Sounds a little bit but, better. <laughs> but we, used, we used a uh, – well, that's Glenn. Glenn's very uh, elitist. <laughs> but, but we used a dead tennis ball and these wooden paddles that were perforated. Mm-hmm. And the ball – the game was played mostly in the air. But anyway, that evolved into playing on, on regular tennis courts – and uh, through my father's influence, uh, I got deeply immersed into tennis in the late 60s and uh, just couldn't get enough of it. One of my brothers, I have two older brothers or had two older brothers, unfortunately, and uh, he got into it. And, and we just played all the time. And, and then because tennis was so vibrant and magnetic in the 70s and 80s uh, excuse me late 60s and 70s i got so caught up in all of the characters that were playing on the professional circuit particularly on the men's side who were your favorites uh, back then it had to be who laver riggs anastasi who were your faves my tennis court crush was and always will be nasty Ilya anastasi oh, anastasi Wow, yeah, interesting. And, and for those of you that are relatively new to the world, the great world of tennis, he was the original bad boy. There wasn't a bad boy before Nastasi, and um, uh, so many books have been written. Uh, like uh, it was the Agassi book that I read about a year ago, and you know Nastasi would pull all of these mind games on the court, 
and drive his opponents crazy, getting into his head, and then shake hands at the net, and they would go for dinner. McEnroe would talk about all of his famous matches against Nastasi, and of course later, you know, McEnroe, and I guess Connors was a little older than McEnroe. Connors and McEnroe carried on that whole bad boy uh, image on and uh, and off the court. Uh, and then today, of course, you have uh, the Nick Curiouses and the Fabio Fanini's who I absolutely love because they bring they bring uh, rye bread to a, a an otherwise white bread uh, pro tour. Yeah, that's that, that's interesting that you said Nastasia. I would have thought you might have said Vitas Gerolitis, fellow New Yorker, you know Johnny Mac, you know somebody along that line. But Ilya Nastasia, man, that is digging deep in the archives. And yeah, Ilya. so so what what a lot of people don't realize is in his day, in his prime. When his head was on straight, which wasn't often, but when it was, he was unbeatable. He was he was very much like a curious in that he was incredibly athletic. And when he was focused, he was untouchable and unbeatable. And I think, I may be wrong, I think he has two or three majors under his belt. And of course, you know, all of that's been dissipated with his recent antics over the last two years. And I believe he has a lifetime ban of pro tennis. He's not allowed in any of the majors or any pro tennis tournaments because of some of the stuff he pulled from, I think it was the English, the women's English team about two summers ago or something. It was the Fed Cup row with, uh, right. with Johanna Conta and right. Anne Kiyothavong, uh, who's right. James's sister. And that was uh, that was a powder keg and a sad, sad thing for me. Uh, like you, uh, Nastasia was my first fave, and uh, I, 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 I guess I, I'm, of course, a little younger. So for me, when Craig says McEnroe as a New Yorker, Vitas, yep. those were certainly my favorites. But my dad and I bonded like you and you, you're and your pop um, on uh, tennis and on Nastasia. And it's probably why I love Nick so much now. Of course I hate him, but maybe there's something there that's going to be good for tennis. And I absolutely know Nastasi sparked a lot of the tennis boom. Uh, of course, Borg and Laver. Of course, those guys did. We, we had some great... Oh, the absolutely. Uh, you know, but, but going back to that late 60s, yeah. 70s era, and, you know, you, you bring up Venus Carolitis, mm. who was this amazingly good-looking playboy and every woman wanted to be with him and every guy wanted to have a beer with him um, uh, right around the mid-70s. So I grew up uh, in, in Plainview and I started, of course, in the winter, uh, Long Island had a lot of indoor tennis in the way of bubbles and, and you know, indoor permanent structures. Right. And so I started hanging out at Port Washington Tennis Academy, which is the home of Patrick and John McEnroe. And... I can't tell you how many times that I begged John just to hit with him, and he, of course, snubbed me, but Patrick <laughs> was always, always the gentleman. He would hit with me, and it's so funny. Uh, my wife, Barbara, and I uh, ran into him in the DFW airport about four years ago heading to New York for the U.S. Yeah. Open, and I told him the story, and, of course, you know, in a million years, he wouldn't remember, and, and, and he's just such... You used the word earlier, a mensch. And for those of you that are Gentiles, a mensch is like a man's man, just a nice guy, a gentleman. And he sat with us, you know, in the terminal and we chatted and we both flew up in the same plane uh, to the U.S. Open. It was about four or five years ago. But Johnny Mac absolutely loved him and tried to emulate his, uh, what I call, corkscrew serve. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, and played... 
in the in the late uh, mid seventies, early eighties, at a five zero level in New York, till I moved to Dallas in eighty four, and really proud to to say that I was at Forest Hills the last year they had the U.S. Open there. Seventy seven was seventy seven. Yes, that was the that was the year Vilas beat Jimmy in the final six love in the fourth. And, Very good. Uh, I, was, I was just testing you. I oh, just want to make sure you were, you were still on the broadcast. <laughs> it was on clay, too, right? Was that on clay? It, it was, was, still, on, it, it was right? still on clay, right? Yep, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And then, and then, so when they moved it over to uh, Louis Armstrong or Billie Jean King or whatever they first called it, and I would play in a 5-0 men's league, and it was just so incredibly surreal playing to the backdrop of the Manhattan skyline uh, at the uh, you know at the site of the U.S. Open, uh, Flushing Meadows, right. uh, during the year, obviously didn't play during the two weeks of the Open, but um, and then we played in the bubble. There's a bubble right underneath the 59th Street Bridge, and today this is amazing. Today it's 125 dollars an hour to play indoors in that Manhattan bubble. Yeah, not a lesson, just to rent the court right. for an hour. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's cheap. That's cheap. Come on, that's cheap. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it, it holds up very nicely to the nine dollar coffee at starbucks right across the way right the nine dollar motor oil that you <laughs> use into your body so uh so so there was so many great uh tennis characters during those years you mentioned borg and i had the incredible pleasure of meeting rod laver not only once but twice i met him uh we were going several times uh over the last few years down to john newcomb's tennis ranch in new Braunfels, and he does that legends weekend that i met uh rod laver and again the consummate gentleman just you know an incredible uh person and obviously one of the great greatest tennis players of all time winning you know two uh two lifetime grand slams which will i don't believe will ever be ever be duplicated again um and then again when we used to go to the omni in san diego cliff drysdale has that concession we got to not only meet cliffy but we got to sit with rod laver and watch a um, san diego aviators world team tennis match uh, about three july's ago and sip champagne and it was just absolutely uh for me again surreal to be able to sit next to this iconic tennis legend in uh, Rod Laver. Okay, okay, let me ask you a question then. When you're sitting with Rod Laver, does he talk tennis? Does he talk X's and O's? Or does he just talk just like we're talking right now? Uh, his wife does all the talking. He really has nothing <laughs> to say. I'll be honest with you. He's a very he's a very shy, withdrawn, quiet guy. I and mean, I would guess he's in his early 80s now. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, being the gentleman that he is, he always... He always kind of gives up the floor to the person that he's talking to. He's a fantastic listener, uh, as most gentlemen are, and uh, his wife is delightful. I got to meet, like I said, Cliff Drysdale, who's uh, recently remarried, and his wife is absolutely wonderful. And if you ever want to, uh, going out to your listeners, if you ever want to plan a wonderful tennis long weekend, I highly recommend the Omni um, on the north end of San Diego. Uh, to uh, to go there. Cliff Drysdale runs a fantastic tennis program, and of course you have the beauty of La Jolla and 
Temecula, which is like a little mini uh, wine country, and San Diego is just a phenomenal place to spend a long weekend at. Does Ilya Nastasi ever show up at any of the tennis camps? He's not allowed. He's a government I'm always watching for the tall guy with the nose and glasses. (laughs) And and then we need to talk very briefly about his partner in crime, Jan Tyriak. Oh, Oh, Tyriak, right. Have you met him? Did you ever meet Tyriak? Never. Never got to meet him, but uh, as as many of your listeners know, he owns Romanian tennis and probably Simona Halep and everybody else. And he's gone on to become a multi-billionaire through tennis in uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, and I believe that they were very successful as a doubles team yeah. back in the 60s. They were the they Romanian did. Davis Cup yeah, team, basically. They were, they they were, were badass, badass players. And... As a businessman, how many Mercedes dealerships and banks does that guy own? And the Svengali to not just Illy, but went on to mentor uh, Panada, uh, certainly Adriano and, and Claudio Panada, Henri Leconte, Boris Becker, uh, I believe Gabriella Sabatini, and certainly uh, uh, because of the Vilas connection, and famously, who else? Becker, Lacan. I think, yeah, he he's had quite a stable yeah, of people. That certainly, he's, Vilas. Yeah, he, he is. Yeah, really, he's you mentioned fun. Guillermo Vilas. Right. He, uh, he was the uh, he was the Spanish Vitis Carolitis in my mind. He really. He was. was he was such a stylized player from head to toe, from a wardrobe standpoint. But his game was just so pretty pretty and beautiful to watch he was so graceful yeah and, and his clothes he fit well and he had the big uh, big arm he had the hair just like uh, the lithuanian lion they both had good hair yeah amazing good hair. long hair of course vilas was more uh bulky and barrel chested and uh still quick yeah. and that nasty slice backhand and, and the way he forehand. would slide massive forehand and pretty modern technique i mean just forgetting the celebrity aspect very modern technique that holds up now. Kind of like a Rafa. Today. Right, right. Muster, Rafa, that kind of feel. And not just because he's a lefty. But when you talk hair, gentlemen, uh-huh. you cannot leave out the greatest hair in professional Please. tennis. Don't, don't say it yet. We'll, let, let us think I, here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask if we're talking Bjorn Borg. Period. 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 <laughs> I, did, I didn't have to, like, dot, 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 ellipsis. And, and uh, give you multiple now, choice. That's Don. it. Bjorn Borg had he, his hair. And again, from a style standpoint, you know, he owned uh, actually three separate clothing companies. All three of them went defunct. But in his heyday, he owned these, uh, uh, Borg, they were called Borg, uh, and uh, two different versions of it. He n- never owned any part of Fila, which... Uh, or, or, yeah, Fila, which he made very famous oh, as yeah. McEnroe made Sergio Tacchini very famous. I talk about this because uh, in my previous life, I spent 27 years in the very high end of the men's clothing business. And um, so very much into apparel, men's apparel, clothing, and um, what it has evolved down into or de-evolved in today's uh, men's world, which is uh, a... a um, a shadow of what men's clothing was, you know, decades ago. But uh, that, that's a whole other podcast. You, you're in the rag business then for a short period of time, then, huh? Actually, not the rag. The rag business really denotes women's wear. I was in the couture and the very high end of men's clothing. I sold the finest men's haberdashers to 27 years. Um, 
all throughout the United States and Canada. So mm. it was like the Bergdorf's Goodsmans and the Stanley Korshaks and the Neemans. And I was on the front cover of Neiman's millennial Christmas catalog with my merchandise and had a, a, a real story career for 27 years until it came to a screeching halt in 1999 when IBM created corporate casual or casual Friday and decimated the entire industry, which is why four years later I got licensed and became a, uh, a financial advisor. I got. Let me back up one one right. one thing about New York. I want to know this. I got to imagine you visited Studio Fifty Four at least once on one occasion. Did you not uh, frequent that place ever? I, I I did. If you could count uh, the one time I was there, I got thrown out. <laughs> oh. Okay, there's a story. Come on, give us the story. Well, you know, I saw a movie many years ago of of how to sneak into a movie. Yes, and and what you do. And I can't remember the movie. What you do is you wait till everybody's coming out, and then you walk in backwards. Ah, very interesting. I hadn't never so, thought about so there was a big, There was a big throng walking out uh, of the double doors of the front. So I tried it, and I walked in backwards, and I got uh, all the way to the bouncer's forearm. And that was about it. <laughs> the guy was about 6'8 and about 380 pounds and goes... Uh, sorry, sorry, Mayan, you can't do that kind of deal. Hey, uh, was that um, movie? I think it was in Russian. I'm not sure it was in English. I think it was in Russian. Uh, comrade, comrade. Uh, but you must... talk about Studio 54, and, yeah. and I want to kind of uh, tie that into my uh, my musician's career. I played professionally, uh, and I still play. I play sax, and I sing, and I played for 12 years professionally. Uh, in my uh, teens and early 20s, I played with some relatively big name bands in the band. I wasn't in the front. I was in the band and um, really went to school as a professional musician and learned a lot about life, about alcohol and about women uh, as a professional musician. And, and, this, uh, and, and when you say went to school, this is up in the Catskills, the Borscht Belt. Ah. Ah, so you bring that up. So for those of you that don't know what the Catskills are, back in the uh, post-war era, like late 40s and 50s, right. it was, in, in all, for all intents and purposes, it was the Las Vegas of America before Las Vegas became incredibly popular in the late 50s and 60s. And so it was the breeding ground for some of the most iconic entertainers and specific stand-up comedians wow. of all time. And I could I could go through a laundry list of famous comedians that are now in their 80s and 90s and, and deceased. And probably the most famous story is um, there was a young Italian crooner from Steubenville, Ohio, who was singing, and he was third on the bill, and he was up there singing a song. And the Browns Hotel, there were these hotels were amazing, and all they did is feed you food and shuffleboard and pools and golf, and it was so indulgent, like Las Vegas is, but without gambling. And they never so, so ever before, got gambling before Caesars and Flamingo. There oh, was yeah. there was Neville, yeah. uh, Br the Browns, Browns yeah. uh, Kutcher's, places like this. Right, the Concord, Grossinger's, and the Neville. Great story. The owners of the Neville. Um, uh, basically, the Neville is 11 spelled backwards, and that was the number on their battleship in World War II, and they, and they just took 11 and spelled it backwards, and they created this world-class um, 
hotel and resort. And so getting back to the crooner from Steubenville, he's singing a song. And uh, all of a sudden, one of the busboys that was cleaning off some of the um, plates from the tables of the people watching him dropped an entire uh, uh, tray of, of plates. And that stopped the crooner cold in his tracks. And he said, who's making all that noise? I'm in the middle of my performance. And this young guy, he was maybe 16, 17, this young busboy was all embarrassed. He goes, oh, Dean, I'm so sorry that, that I interrupted you. And I hope that... And a world-class uh, act was formed that night. And they went on to become the largest grossing entertainment act of all time for the nine years that they were together. And that is Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Right. Dino Martini was his original Martini. name from Steubenville, Ohio. Jerry Lewis is, uh, I'm trying to remember his original name, but um, yeah. And, and so people were laughing. They thought it was part of the act and then they formed an act. And of course they went on to uh, headline it to cope a few years and make amazing movies. And then they, and then to show you how brilliant they were, they each went their own separate ways and remained hugely successful on their own, which to me is a testament for how incredibly talented they both were individually. And, and Jerry Lewis was quite the musician as well. He was no uh, slouch as a drummer from what I, I yeah, recall. You, you know, you know, who his idol was, uh, that would be, uh, just don't, uh, I almost had it. He, he played with him uh, on the Carson show. Whoa. Yes, very good. You're, you're so close, Craig. I can smell it. Yeah. I know. I'm right yeah. there. I just I have another musician I was thinking of. Right. Oh, drummer. Uh, oh, I almost had it again. Uh, go ahead and give it to me. Buddy Rich. Buddy, Buddy Rich. Rich. There we go. Yeah. Buddy, Buddy Rich. Rich was uh, all time top three greatest drummers of, of all time and. Uh, if you ever got a chance to see any of Jerry Lewis's later movies, not not the Bellboy or, or you know the early ones in the '60s, but the later ones, and here's one last trivia about Jerry Lewis: and we'll move back to tennis. He created or invented what is today still used by modern day directors: uh, the the actual monitor that was a screen that he invented. So the director could see exactly what was going on inside the lens of the camera while it was being taped. And they use it to this day. This, Jerry Lewis was so far brilliant beyond him being a comedian. And he changed the entire movie making world with some of these inventions that are still used today. Uh, that, that he's, I, I just remember him being a fascinating guy. Great comedic timing. And then when I saw this with Buddy Rich that, that this one time, I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize he had that kind of musical chops, but he was really good. Now, Buddy Rich was way off the chart good, but oh, yeah. Jerry yeah. Lewis was pretty darn good in his own own right. Now, I got to ask you about one that the other musician I was thinking of oh, yes. was Boots Randolph. Did you ever play Yakety Sax since you were a sax yes. player? Yes, I did. Um, I, I can't say he was one of my earlier influences. I wasn't a huge fan. It was more like uh, Charlie Parker and yeah. Coleman Hawkins okay. were my yeah. were my early early idols. And then moving up to the sixties, what what really resonated with me as a sax player was the sax player in the original Blood, Sweat, and Tears band who uh, came out with their first album as Blood, Sweat, and Tears called Father is Child to the Man. And his name appropriately was Fred Lipsius. 
Fred Lipsius. Lipsius. What a great name for a sax player. Right. Lipsius. Lips. Yeah. Lipsius. And, and and Fred. And for those listeners that are really into music, they the the uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears originally was a group called the Blues Project. They made three albums, and it really didn't do well commercially. And frankly, Blood, Sweat, and Tears weren't weren't successful until their second album that they employed David Clayton Thomas and they became commercial and yes. highly successful. But but the original band, if you're into jazz fusion, like Tower Power, Earth, Wind and Fire, you need to download Father is Child to the Man, their first album, which is epic. It's sensational. Yeah, that that would be I remember I remember Blood, Sweat and Tears. They were yeah. they were really good uh you made me so very happy. I'm so glad you came into my life. Wow. Impersonations, too. Man, we, we're getting it all tonight. That, that's unbelievable. And, and thanks for mentioning yeah. T.O.P. Tower Power actually just released something a month ago. I think it's called Step or Step Up. Okay. Brand new. Yep. And it's something we Love should it. check out. And it's energetic uh, like their early stuff. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a horns guy. Yeah. I love any any group that had horns. Like uh, The Doors had one song, one hit song that had horns in it, and it became one of my favorite songs. Can you guys remember that song? Your second the Doors. Uh, oh, I Jim love Morris. The Doors. Yes, uh, Jim Morris. I know. Ray Manzarek. Yes, oh. right. Ray Manzarek. Robbie Krieger. What was that? Robbie Krieger, very good. He just passed he just passed away this year. Robbie Krieger did? Interesting. Last year, yeah. And John Densmore. So I remember. Yes, very. <laughs> oh, my God. You guys are, you're not Googling this, I hope. No, this is off the top of my head. This I is... certainly hope so, Craig. I, I hope I, I don't catch you cheating uh, during, hey, um, during social he... uh, distancing. Okay, and, and the horns, the song that, was, that featured horns prominently by the Doors, it's the uh, one that I... they ended, bump, 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 bump. And, and it's, and my, it's not what light it. my fire, is it? Yeah. Uh, no, it yeah. was touch me. Touch, touch me. me. Touch yes, me. Yes. That was. But in, today, in today's world, it'll be difficult. Yeah. Since you're <laughs> 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 the, the doors, they were awesome. I love Jim Morrison. Oh, were well, they great? Strange Days, yeah. L.A. Woman. They yes. had fantastic stuff. So, so I would always gravitate to the one or two songs, like the Beatles yeah. had a phenomenal um, horn song. Um, uh, oh, geez, it's, uh, it's slipping my mind. Um, I'll, I'll come back to it later. Yeah. But no, the, those the bands in the got 60s... to get you into my life. Yeah, yeah. excellent. There's it was some... the it was the last song on Rubber Soul. Got to get you into my yes. life. Yeah, th there were some great uh, horn sections yeah. back in that time that were really in the '60s and '70s were considered part of rock and roll music. They really were, and you know, Chicago did a lot of horns. Oh, yeah. But when the Beatles did that song, uh, "Got to Get You Into My Life." It had horns, but it also had a hard rock element. Like, I know yeah. guys who are into hard rock and even metal, even Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, and that was the Beatles song they would point to, it, and, and Revolution, uh, as yeah. the, hard, the and, hardest and, rock. And, you know, you talk about that genre, that era, you, you can't leave out Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention had a mm. big, big hit song with horns. And uh, so it's always been... Yeah. You know, uh, horn section, trumpet, trombone, sax. It's always been a, a very important influence in my life, and I listen to uh, the songs today. And I, I love playing musical trivia. My my real uh, strong suit is one hit wonders of the sixties. Oh, 
Oh, boy, that'd be fun. I've, I love listening to the, the 60s stuff, and I go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that song. I forgot about that All right, I'll give you, I'll give you okay. one. Let's see if you, between the two of you, without your phone, I'm you not... guess it. I'll give you, I'll give you the name of the song. You have to tell me the one-hit wonder group. Okay, all right. You ready? Yeah. I love you more today than yesterday. Ooh, I love you more today than yesterday. Also, Horns, great song. You've heard it a billion times. Mm, the Yardbirds. I'm going to say the Yardbirds. No, they had more than one hit. Yeah, I know. Right, yeah. right. Oh, boy. Oh. Ready? Yeah. Because I want to get back to tennis, guys. Yeah, go ahead. One, one, shoot. Spiral Staircase. I would have Excellent. never guessed that. I, Spyro Gyra, Spyro Gyra. I had them down, but not Spiral Staircase. Fred, spiral unfortunately, staircase. you stumped us on the first one. Right. <laughs> you stumped the chumps. Sorry. But you do get a version of our home game. <laughs> thank you. Hey, thank <laughs> you for Fred, participating. Fred, growing up in New York, uh, do you remember a band called the White Plains? Oh, yes. And they became, oh, jeez, they became very famous. What was the name they became? I I just knew them as the White Plains, and it was my seventh grade chorus teacher who was a part of that band. And his his uh, his eyes would light up when he told us that for that one week on the Billboard charts, whatever yep. song it was, he topped four Beatles songs. Unbelievable. Yeah, White Plains. So they used the name that was a town in Westchester County, Absolutely. White Plains. Absolutely. That's New Rochelle and, yeah. and everything else. The home of the home of Rob and Laura Petri. That's right. And actually, uh, as we weave it back to tennis, not that we have to, but uh, on Mamaroneck <laughs> Avenue in White Plains was the old headquarters of the United States Lawn Tennis Association. What a great segue! Wow, you, you know, you're, Craig said you were good, but I had no idea how good you are. <laughs> They were the flower pot men. The, white... the flower pot men. That's it. Yeah. And then, yeah. How do I forget making the joke that our teacher was in a band? Yeah, the White Plains. They're better than the Beatles for one week. But the flower pot men. Oh, wow. How did what I was forget the, what that? What was the name of the song, the White Plains, the big hit they had? Oh, Beach I... Baby? Beach Baby? No, no, that's much later. That was a different group. Okay. It wasn't White Plains. No. Gosh, too many, too many uh, songs since then, sadly. We'll, okay. have to, we'll have to follow up, and maybe when I do, a, you mentioned uh, Strange Days by the Doors. I recently did one of our Instagram posts using that song, uh, kind of uh, in, encapsulating what we're all kind of going through these days. But uh, folks at home, you know we're going to have a little bit of the, the uh, this kind of music that we're talking about, oh, yeah. including a White Plains hit on a post and, coming and, up and soon. And the Flower Pot Men. Flower Pot Men. That's it. Coming to a theater near you. That's it. So they, you, know, you know, there were so many amazing groups in the 60s. I was privileged to play with a group. You ready for this? Yes. This group, second to the Beach Boys, sold the most singles in the history of American Music. Okay, don't name know. that group. Name that group. Okay, sixties a sixties group. Okay, sixties group. At some time, they had three and four songs on the top twenty charts at the same time. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So this is going to be a big time act of the sixties. Huge, one, huge. And you got to play with them. Wow. Okay. I got to play in the band. The, the uh, sax player got sick. And I did a concert at Queens College when they were appearing many, many years ago. Could this be uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons? Let's hang on! 
to what we've got. Don't I get real? Yes, correct. Yes. Walk yeah. like a man. Yeah. Frank, walk like a man. Yeah, you walk the, like a man. Wow, Frankie Valley. <laughs> And the four tops, that's pretty... No, you, no, no. Frankie Valley and the four seasons. seasons. Oh, the four seasons. seasons. Not the four yes, tops. Yeah. And, four you know, tops was a whole different color. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned four seasons because Craig once worked at a place called the four, the four seasons. seasons. That's correct. You could tell that I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to weave it, even though I don't really want to talk tennis. I kind of do, and I'm right. trying to weave it back because I am certainly enjoying talking about oh, music, music with you. Yeah. But, but anyway, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you. So let, you know, but you talk about music and tennis, and you look in modern day the Bryant brothers yeah. playing, yeah. you know, on stage oh, before yeah. these uh, tournaments, and I think music. You know, it's so funny. Uh, I'm on the Board of Governors of uh, Canyon Creek and Richardson, yeah. um, and um, very proud to be a member there for the last 15 years, my family. And we just took a picture of the Board of Governors, and they handed me a tennis racket because I head up the tennis committee. And I instinctively took the tennis racket, turned it around, and started strumming it guitar. like a guitar. Craig, can you tell the folks at home what I'm holding right now? A tennis racket. And, and, and a guitar. A guitar. <laughs> and a my, a my right hand is on the strings and my yes. left is on the frets. Yes, he, he is I'm like not even touching the, the grip. We are so, so there's got to be a celestial parallel between yeah. guitars and tennis rackets. There is. And you know, yes. you go back to, you mentioned the Brian boys, but we had their dad as a guest. We yes. talked music. Uh, we've, no. we've had conversations about uh, this kind of stuff with... John McEnroe, Pat Cash, Mats Vilander, huge guitar guys. Yes. So and, and, listeners, and listeners, if you're struggling making the connection between tennis rackets and guitars, I have one thing to say to you. Don't fret it. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. You know, the Brian <laughs> Brothers actually played with Jewel yeah. in a concert. Uh, two nights ago, yeah, I think. very recent. Wayne emailed us about yes. this. Yeah, yeah, they were they were on stage, did a free performance with Jewel, part of the the band. That was kind of cool. I didn't, yeah. I haven't checked it out yet, but I did get the email that the brothers were part of uh, this this uh, night of music, and they were raising some money for a foundation, I believe. But it was uh, uh, all done through either Instagram or Facebook. I yeah. can't remember which, which site it was, but uh, yeah, there. It's interesting how. A lot of tennis players have also done musical instruments over the years. I, I played trumpet for six yeah, years yeah. very badly. That's why I got became a tennis pro. Fred, Fred <laughs> obviously, is, was a lot better at, at uh, uh, playing the sax. If he got to play with the Frankie Valley and that group, was it? As we get back, kind of weave this into tennis. Right. Tell us about Frankie. Was he a nice guy? Did you have a good time? I'm just real interested to hear. He, he, he couldn't have been nicer. He, again, was the consummate gentleman, unlike... This other guy that I played in a group with that had six top ten hits, and his name was Jay Black. It was Jay and the Americans. Uh-huh. And back in the 60s, uh, they were more of an East Coast band, but they had big hits. They had Karen and I, and they had Let's Lock the Door, and Only in America, and uh, Come a Little Bit Closer was their big hit. And so I played in the band, but, but Jay Black was the biggest uh, jerk that you could imagine, unlike Frankie Valley, who was the consummate gentleman. Then I played with uh, Johnny Maestro and the Crests. They had one huge hit called 16 Candles. Yeah, 16 Candles. Great sure. 16 yeah. Candles. And then Johnny Maestro went off on his own and had a huge one-hit wonder called It's the Worst That Can Happen, Johnny Maestro on the Brooklyn Bridge. 
Crickets. Yeah. I got crickets here from you guys. Right, well, that one, we're sitting there thinking yeah. about We're trying to sit there in the mind kind of thinking about that one-hit wonder. There. Yeah, I'm trying th to think. This is where if, if, yeah. if you had the Facebook Live, you wouldn't hear the crickets. You'd see, see us the crickets. both thinking. We're thinking you could yes. see the crickets. Yeah. The minds are moving, that's for sure. We're looking at each other going, okay, do we remember that song? Yeah, I'm sure we do. It's the worst that could happen to me. But thank God for your viewers that I have a great face for radio and I'm not on Facebook Live. Thank God. <laughs> well, we're practicing social distancing tonight. We're doing it. Yes. Otherwise, yeah. we would have had you in the studio. Uh, we would de definitely love to have had you yeah. in studio. But like I said, we, we are practicing uh, being under safe conditions. We don't want anybody to get sick. Very nope. good. And uh, we don't want anybody getting mad at us for uh, doing something like this. So that's why we decided to do just the unplugged version, the uh, audio version only of, of uh, tonight's uh, podcast. But getting back to tennis, yes. so, so yes. you moved to from uh, <clears throat> New York to Dallas. Did you continue playing art or did you stop for a while? Did, did So right before I moved from Manhattan, I actually lived in Manhattan for a few years, my wife at the time and I, uh, we gave birth to our first daughter named Eliza Schlesinger at the NYU Medical Center. So Eliza, for those listeners that might know her or are fans of her, yeah, big names. Um, she's uh, she's a true born and bred New Yorker, and my ex-wife was also a New Yorker from Long Island, and uh, you can hear it in Eliza's comedy. She's got that New York edge, even though she really grew up uh, for most of her life in Dallas uh, from '84 till she moved to LA. Uh, about 12 years ago mm -hmm. but she's got that edge and i actually have done four podcasts she has a very successful podcast series called ask eliza anything and um so we moved here in 84 and then we had our our second uh child ben who's up in northern california growing cannabis for a living very interesting story mm -hmm. on him as well and okay. um yeah so you'll, have to, you'll, you'll have to revisit that one that's a good one too so Eliza and Ben got into the uh, world of entertainment and followed in their dad's footsteps. And then my youngest daughter is a singer-songwriter in L.A. Uh, who goes under the name of Emerald. She's got about a million followers on Spotify, and uh, she's, she's doing great. She's 22. But when I moved to Dallas, the reason I moved to Dallas was um, I just thought it was a great city to raise a young family. And I continued to play tennis, but played a lot of golf. And it was one of the reasons I moved here, because golf was so plentiful and inexpensive. Right. And um, continued with my menswear career. Uh, but then when I got involved as a financial advisor, I just didn't have the time for golf. So 15 years ago, I uh, put my golf clubs away and just completely immersed myself into tennis and today, between my wife Barbara and I, we play on 10 different competitive teams between wow. the two of us. 10. We, we captain a TCD mixed team. We've both captained USTA and Metro teams, my wife captains. And we play virtually every night and sometimes four to five hours on the weekends uh, playing competitively. As a matter of fact, we played uh, late this afternoon at Kenny Creek. They're still open for uh, tennis the tennis facilities and we've embraced tennis as a lifestyle. We've made incredible uh, friendships and relationships with other tennis couples. 
And these days, we travel with an organization called Racket Wars that puts together women's and mixed doubles tournaments at fine resorts all over the country once a month. So we get to meet these incredible couples that love tennis and are passionate about tennis as a lifestyle. And I cannot express to you and the, the listeners what tennis has brought to us as a family, to me as an individual, from a emotional, psychological, physical uh, standpoint. And I, I just feel I want to give back to the tennis community any way that I can. And uh, it's truly a sport for life, as golf is. But um, there's so many life metaphors that you could draw playing tennis. And um, uh, it's just uh, an incredible sport. It's more than a sport to us. It's really become a lifestyle. And I've gotten very involved in the, in the equipment, both the rackets, the strings, the sneakers. I did a podcast recently for Tennis Warehouse. Uh, there's a girl named uh, Michelle Heidbrink who hosts uh, a tennis podcast happened to listen to me on Eliza's podcast talking about tennis and had me on as a guest. And we talked a lot about uh, what is happening in the world of tennis today as right. far as equipment is concerned. And um, we talked some nostalgia as we're talking today. But uh, I, I really did want to bring all this back to tennis and continue to talk about it. Sure. No, well, that's thank we you. appreciate that. Yeah, we, there's a lot more that we want to talk about. We definitely want definitely. and we're going to get that here in a second. But. You know, the, the, the game of tennis, you've seen it evolve from wood rackets to where the technology today is graphite. Was there, did you have a particular favorite racket that you've played with over the years? Is, is there anything that, uh, you know, uh, shoes, clothing? Did you like uh, the clothing of the, the Filas, the Alessis, the, you know, Sergio Tacchini's, all the Italian-made made, uh, uh, clothing? You know, kind of what were your favorites in, in those categories? So let's talk about rackets. So uh, back in the mid to late 60s, uh, I'm saying prior to 72, and I used 72 uh, for a, a pivotal year in rackets. Um, of course, I used the Dunlop Fort and the Stan Smith autograph and um, uh, the, the wood rackets at the time. I believe Johnny Mack used the Dunlop Fort for many, many years and won majors with that Dunlop Fort, which was such a heavy racket uh you know you think about it today god knows what that thing weighed i, I don't know in ounces what it weighed it was a piece of lumber close to 14 <laughs> yeah it was like 13.9 and that was mine as a 12 year old kid so like and that was a light so you know johnny or guys like my dad they use an m so it was it was quite a bit heavier than that even yeah and and so um i say 72 because i'm pretty sure that was the year that head came out with the Arthur Ashe competition. Right around that time, yep. yeah. It had the, the metal on the side, I, sandwich. Uh, well, it was, was made, fiber. It, it was made like lasagna. It had all of these layers. Right, correct. And I think that before Howard Head invented the Prince racket, which I think was a few years prior to that, that competition racket, I think, changed, no pun intended, the face of tennis rackets because everybody started shifting to these uh, man-made, uh, you know, the graphites and the titaniums and all those uh, materials that we used getting away from uh, wood. So what was the last year? Here's a great question. And I don't know the answer. I'm asking you guys. What was the last year a wood racket won a major? 
Um, certainly 81. McEnroe? Um, uh, yeah, I think it was 81 because in 82, Jimmy beat Mac um, in Wimbledon. Uh, 82, Jimmy beat Lendl in the U.S. Open. 82, Mats when he won the French. That was with a graphite. And the Australian Open was Johan Creek, also with a fiberglass composite racket. So the last one would be U.S. Open 81, Johnny and Borg. And that was Borg's last final. And John's so we, last win with Wood. There you go. So are you saying Jimmy Connors won with the T2000? That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Before right, he sticks so to the pro I'm going to give you a little... I'm going to give you a little trivia yep. for your listeners. So the T, the Wilson T2000, okay, so here's the trivia question. You ready? Yes. Who invented the T2000? The, the the guy on my shirt. Craig, you want to tell the people at home? It would be Rene Lacoste. Lacoste. That's it. Boy, you guys are good. I got to tell you. <laughs> nobody nobody knows that. You got to get early in the morning. Come on, friend. <laughs> people on the same phone call that knew the answer immediately. That's so crazy. Oh, you're well, talking to a couple of racket geeks here, historians of the game. We don't know everything, but uh, between us, we, we, we've... Uh, I think that yeah. celestial connection you were talking about earlier was, uh, was yeah. summed up, so, yeah. So what a lot of people don't know is Rene Lacoste, aside from being a world-class tennis player, right. had over 100 patents. As yes. a matter of fact, he also invented the, the ball machine. The ball machine, right, that metal arm thing. Yeah. I, I've seen a picture of that. that thing's that, awesome. Was that a throwing machine, actually, that, at that time? I think it was a throwing machine as opposed they, to... They, adopted it, they yeah. adopted it in spring training uh -huh. back in the 60s baseball. for a Major League Baseball teams uh, that would, would throw batting practice. Uh, but he invented it for literally uh, as a tennis uh, ball machine. Yes. He was... And uh, I believe Agassi in his book talks about it because he actually used a, a updated version of it when he was growing up and learning how to play tennis with, with a ball machine. But um, so that T2000 was amazing and also an incredibly heavy racket. Right. And then a couple of years later, somebody at Wilson said, uh, we're not making enough money with this T2000, so let's create a T3000. You guys remember what that was? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. It just had that little bridge up yes. uh, about two inches under the throat, right? It said 3000 on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, no, 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 no. The 3000 was distinctively different because it had a little tiny ball on the butt of the handle that you could adjust. 4,000. 4,000. That was the 4,000. Okay. All right. Maybe it is the 4,000. I stand corrected. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we, you're talking to a couple of racket geeks. Great moments in uh, radio history here, yes. boys. Yes. This is so no, good. So all of your listeners are rolling their eyes going, the guest doesn't even know the difference between a three and a 4,000. No, I can't no, the, get, the, the people are laughing their asses off right now because the guest is unbelievably magnetic. Yes. And you're doing great. And I yes. love this. No, Thank no. you. You're doing, you're doing fine because you're sitting there making us remember all this unbelievable things. yes I, I do remember the four with the ball yep. on it because i thought wow that's pretty cool that's that is <laughs> and, unbelievable How did and you that just the tension of the racket what did it do uh i think it was just a hokey little thing it didn't actually adjust anything now nah. yeah, the, the cool. uh but borg's coach the uh leonard bergeline had something called the the bergeline long string yeah and i think mcgregor had something where you could adjust some tensions and of course i've got a couple of Puma Boris Beckers where you could adjust the length with a screw at the bottom. But that's the extent of the uh, 
the the geeky sort of uh, I told engineering you're talking to stuff. a couple of geeks here. We we we, we no 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 no. It's great. It's yeah. and, and and I appreciate all because I I love all this what I call trivial trivia. Nobody when we hang up, yeah. people that are listening are going to go. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean these. Don't, don't these guys have a life? Yeah, they don't. They, <laughs> no. don't. they don't. And I got to tell you, I, I I have a lot of, like, that was my favorite guest. But this is probably the first time I'm going to say, hey, uh, I'm a little jealous of Barbara, and I'm going to take Fred out for coffee one day, and there might be a T-3000 in my bag when we oh, go out for coffee. <laughs> no oh, food, awesome? funny. You don't have the food? Um, <laughs> what? I see he doesn't have the four thousand. That's on. not my collection. I, you know what? I, I you learn something every day. I, I, I thought after the debacle of the three thousand, they wouldn't dare come out with the four thousand. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, wouldn't no, dare. They, they kept going. They kept. Uh, there was no five thousand that, that <laughs> no, I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah. that was. So just, fast forwarding this to, to anyway. today, yeah. to, to today's rackets. Right. So my personal belief is, at, and there is, there's five great racket companies out there producing world-class rackets, and we all know the names of these racket companies. But I think that the racket manufacturers have kind of hit a wall, and there's not much more they could do to help the recreational player, because that's where the the sales volume comes out of. It doesn't come out of the pros, because they're giving them the rackets. They're not buying the rackets, of course. So today, I think that it's kind of hit uh, 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 an area where this, other than spray painting the racket a different color, there's n- you know, and making it different size heads, th- there's really not much more they could do. So I have turned my my thoughts and efforts to the technology of string, and I think that string is the unsung, not the unstrung, mm-hmm. the unsung hero of modern day tennis because string is creating the great competitive advantage between players, not rackets anymore. Yeah. You're talking, you're talking to a couple of string guys too, but yeah. more so Adrian's more of a string nerd than I am. I, I, I don't talk too in depth on string, but we, I do. We, we're both a little uh, particular with our strings too. For example, when a, when a demo comes from a company and it's got polyester that's already strung in there and it's been, there for a month we're both not having it we're immediately cutting that crap out and putting our favorite stuff in there but what kind of strings are you using uh all poly or gut and poly right. or a month so, so about about yeah so about five years ago maybe a little longer yeah i discovered this wonderful wonderful string company of course it's called technofiber yeah. and in my opinion they make the benchmark of multi-filaments in the biphase one uh, string that they have. Yeah, that X1 biphase, it, it slips like a polyester, but it's uh, absorbing and feels like a multi-filament, and you kind of get right. the best of both worlds, right? Yeah, so I use that uh, in my hybrid stringing, and then about two years ago, I discovered Selenko, which I think does a great job at a great price point. Right. They're high-quality strings. So I'm stringing the biphase one, and I'm uh, blending it with their tour bite soft. I'm guessing a pretty thin gauge cross on that tour bite and then uh, 17, X1 mains. Yeah, 17 and 16. Beauty. And the and you know on the Selenko they just came out with um a year ago they came out with Bob Wire. Yeah. And then recently they came out with a new string called uh Confidential. Uh-huh. 
But I find that the barbed wire is very, very stiff and very hard on the arms. So they not only uh, cut it like a diamond facet, I'm saying that for your listeners, right. where it's uh, multi-sided as a, as a co-poly, but then they also texturize it, the barbed wire. And uh, you have to be really young and strong yeah. not to get not to get elbow and arm fatigue. So I went to the Torbite Soft, uh-huh. which I'm just absolutely loving that. And the other string that I've used and been very successful with is Babolat's RPM Blast Rough. Rough. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. a good string. Did you- now, part of the reason, part of the reason. Uh, I embraced it to be perfectly frank with you is it's one of the few ring uh, strings that they make in orange and cosmetically mm-hmm. it looks so good off of my Yonix V core 97 with, with uh, orange accents. Excellent. Yes. That, that does. You have, you have to look good. It's yeah. better to look good than to feel good. I mean, that's the Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Billy right. Crystal. Yeah. It's better to look good than to feel that. That was you know, windows, you know, you know. It's better to look good than to than to feel good. Because when you look good, you do feel good. You know what I'm talking about. You know who you are. That was the uh, the yeah. uh, the Hideaway. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fernando Lamas and Fernando's Hideaway, SNL 1981. 81. Funny stuff. And I know the people at home cannot see you, Fred. But it, yeah. let me just say, Fred. You look marvelous. <laughs> you look, you know, Craig, you, for your age, you look marvelous. Well, how, well, how would Rafa say that? Well, I mean, uh, Fred is a very, very handsome man, no? He's very, very fit. <laughs> he's very, he works hard on his fitness, on his movement. He embraces the heat, the humidity. Indoors, is a little bit cold. He does not mind, and he, he, he plays well, no? Should he come Excellent. over to your academy Excellent. with Uncle Tony? Now, Tony? it would only be authentic if you were pulling on your shorts while you were doing the impression. <laughs> he did that. And then he also uh, he, he also did across his nose also, too. He, he picked his nose and, and yeah. did, did all, all that stuff. <laughs> I and, he ran his, that. and he ran his hands through his hair. Now, right. I was just going to say, I hardly have any hair, but I was definitely putting the, the right hand over the left ear and the left hand over the right ear with the racket. Yeah, I was yeah. doing it for what was the, What was the press conference... I just saw it on Tennis Channel, which yeah. we could talk about Tennis Channel in a minute, where he literally sinks down underneath the desk. What, what was that press conference? <laughs> Rafa? What was that? Rafa. Well, I haven't seen i got to be honest. I usually am able to improv nicely, but like when Craig throws me a Rafa uh, opportunity. Maybe, but maybe I, don't, I haven't was, seen this, and on, I'm a geek who watches all these was things. Was Andy Murray there with him? Oh, maybe. No, I think he got sick. Right in the middle of the press conference, and his eyes rolled in the back of his head, and he just slithered underneath the desk. Did Andy? Were, Andy just, wasn't I, there. I've only seen a photo of this, but I I don't remember this. You have to YouTube it. Yeah, so I think it's on YouTube for sure. I think Andy Murray was there, wasn't he? Oh uh, man, yeah, yeah, it's been great to watch Rafa. Uh, normally, it doesn't look like Very good. sick when we're. Uh, I was just chuffed to bits to see a moment of uh, vulnerability. I I think you can see, hear the excitement in my voice. Did he have too much haggis, probably? Uh, Andy, a lot of people, Andy, a lot of people have accused you as being a whiny mama's boy. Is that true? Um, uh, I mean, you'd have to ask Judy about this, um, or my brother, uh, Jamie. I, 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 uh, you know, I make a lot more money than them, and, uh, I don't think they'd be agreeing with you. I'm sorry, Fred. 
Well, we, we did speak to both of them, and we got two out of three. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Now, 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 this would be amazing if you could do Judy Murray. It's very difficult for a guy of my voice or size to get down to 110-pound, five-foot... Five foot four, Judy. I do. It would basically sound like Julia Child. <laughs> yeah, basically, it would be terrible. <laughs> this, this this would not be like this is more like me telling you no is more entertaining for the people at home than than how awful Are that would be. Are you talking about Michael Landon? <laughs> that Jamie, Andy, dinner's ready. And and it's funny she was. She was actually here maybe one month or a month and a half ago yeah, here in at Dallas. RBC. Yeah, she she did uh, a nice meet and greet she, at Brocalo. She did this thing called Miss Hits, and the woman, uh, wonderful gal, uh, Shauna Barish Wilson, who was on our show um, uh, back then, and we taped live and all that. It was really fun. Shauna was having dinner with Judy, Judy's assistant, Lauren, and another gal, and... Uh, as I drove Shauna to the dinner, um, Shauna had a tape of me making fun of Murray's voice. And, uh, Very good. In, in, Very good. <laughs> did she see the humor in it? She laughed in that way. You know, there's a very complex point. laugh because it was funny to her, but... It was Mama Bear also, and it was like, how dare you? You know, that kind of thing. So it was a laughter version of uh, golf applause. It was, it, it was a little golfy, but it was also like she turned to her friend, and her friend laughed too, and that was like, okay, that was good. Right. And then of you course, got a smile out of her. And then, of course, I, I definitely did it not on my phone, but in real life about a day later, and that was more the guttural, actual laugh that wasn't golfy. You know, it was like, it was in front of... Uh, other people, and I, I was being egged on by a couple of guys. Like, dude, like you have to do your Murray. Like, she's gonna be right there. I was like, I did it for her on the phone, but okay, I'll do it again just for you. And this was a couple of pros at at T Barm. You mentioned Agritelli, so it was a couple of the boys who worked. And they for knew him. you could do the voice, and they, they knew, they knew, yeah. yeah so it's, it's fun. They listen to Athenet podcast. Yeah, they, they listen to the show, yeah. And they. So, know, I'm gonna, so Adrian, I'm gonna throw you a curveball. Yeah, I'm gonna man. throw. I'm going to throw you a guest question because uh -oh. usually the questions come to the guests. You ready for this? Unprecedented. Yeah, yes. go ahead. It usually doesn't happen. And, and this, is, this is out of left field, no question. Uh -oh. Could you do Bud Collins? Oh, gosh. His voice is hard. Uh, I can definitely do some. I can reproduce a lot of the obscure nicknames like Farline Forehand and Fingers Ford Askew and uh, the Bucharest Backfire. But his voice is hard because it's gravelly. And he's a smaller guy, but I will tell you, as much as I'm saying, no, I'm not going to do it, the first time I was a writer at the U.S. Open, this was the O2 U.S. Open, I was a writer at the time for TennisOne.com, now defunct, has turned into TennisPlayer.net, who I write for. Well, the guys flanking me, back then it wasn't just laptops, it was you had a cubicle. The cubicle to the left of me, my favorite writer, John Wertheim, now on the Tennis Channel. The cubicle to the right. I could only guess who it was because I saw the jacket, which went with pants that had apples and tennis balls on them, and it was Bud Collins. And lime green and, socks. And, yeah, and somehow they put a first-year guy between these two titans, uh, especially Bud Collins. So I'd love to tell you I could attempt it, but I, I haven't. I'm sorry. Yes. You know who his custom tailor was? Tell it. Fred Schlesinger. Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Ray Charles. No kidding. Really? Ray Charles? 
Wow. <laughs> it's a joke. He's blind. It's a joke. I know. I, I, I got it. I, was in the, I played along with you. I was sitting there going, Ray Charles. It, it, it's, and you know what? His clothing was all custom made. Yeah. And he spent a fortune on it. And people would look at it between the plaid jacket and the plaid pants right. and the striped shirt. And, and, you know, most men. They're, they're not they don't have great taste in clothing most men i'm saying i'm most. you know i'm generalizing uh, unlike women most women you know definitely have a better sense of style right. and, and i think that you got a lot of men who have no taste at all looking at them going oh so that's the way we should be dressed <laughs> that's a not a bad look <laughs> my dad is subscribed to the bud collins look back in the day because uh, he, he had some wild stuff that uh, I he would, did, huh? Oh my gosh, Bill Bell, man, he was he was quite the. He could throw out the uh, orange Sansa belt or oh, the the it. lime green Sansa belt along with the red, white, and blue uh, striped jacket. You know yeah. that uh, he would wear. Oh yeah, he had. I, I can just remember my dad going. That's the first time I've ever thought about him and Bud Collins yeah. dressing but, very but, similar. But a a unparalleled tennis talent oh, oh my oh. goodness Bud Collins was the genius. passion the knowledge and the ways to connect with people including yeah. some rough customers like uh Bobby Riggs Bill uh, yeah. uh certainly Billy Bill, Bill, clearly but Nastasi Johnny Mac everybody hated him everybody made fun of him but everybody just loved him yeah but Bud was that guy that everybody wanted to have on the broadcast because he was such he was a walking encyclopedia of Everything yeah. there is to tennis. You think we know stuff. Oh, I mean, goodness. That guy had, you know, just uh, piles and piles, yeah. mountains of information that, uh, you know, all the way back to day one of tennis. He was awesome. I, I really like and enjoy Bud Collins' style. Yeah, deep knowledge and a wholesome, uh, completely good-natured way to bring out the best in the person next to him in the booth or in front of on the court. That was a that was a mensch, truly. I, I always liked his Connors when Connors hit an overhead skyhook. The skyhook. The skyhook. And he just he just <laughs> working in the talking skyhook. <laughs> he was such a great guy. Oh, excellent. But but anyway, hey Fred, uh, yeah. real quick because we, we let's get to, to the third set. Let's, let's get, get to, to our the last set. bit. Yes, we want because we want we're having such a great. I know we've had too too damn much fun, Fred. It's right. uh, I blame you. You can never you can never have too much fun, too much food. Too much air and too much money. You can never have enough of those. I love Which it. order would you go go with? <laughs> what would I order? Probably the food. There you go. Well, all right. So no, we're... no. I, 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 I just think that there's some things that you, you just, you know, like you can't laugh enough. Like laughter to me is is like oxygen. Oh, it's the and, best. And, and when you're laughing, you know, it releases these amazing endorphins and and and. This is why I, I get such a kick, such a thrill out of watching the light, my daughter's career in yeah. stand-up comedy. And watching, I, what I do when I go to her performances live, I actually stand in the back, even though I got tickets right in the front, I stand in the back and I just watch people laughing along with her and, oh. and how brilliant her observational comedy is. And, um, I, you know, comedy to me is... It's just, it's just life. I mean, when you could, when you could laugh, or you could have somebody laugh at something you say, it's really magical. It's, it's really a gift uh, when you have a great sense of humor and you can put a smile on people's faces. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think I found a quote of yours that says, "Live, laugh, and love your way through life. Life is." The best one-liner there is. Always funny when you least expect it. Is that Absolutely. Absolutely. That's on my Instagram. And, and also, I believe that you could find humor 
in anything, not almost anything, in anything. Anything. And and you're going to start to see all of these stand-up comedians doing jokes on the uh, coronavirus, but not right now because it's too soon. Too soon you know, at the kinda, moment, right. Soon. Kind of like 9-11 and kind of like the Holocaust and all those, you know, uh, taboo subjects. But even in death, there's humor. And, and um, I, it's just, um, I've always lived by laughing and making people laugh and whatever. It's gotten me where I am today. Well, well not that, too shabby. Not too shabby. Uh, Let's uh, get into the third set, though, pretty, real quick. Pretty, pretty good, Fred. Yes. Yeah, we, yeah. Want, we want it because we've got a, lo- a few questions for yes. you. It's going to take even a little bit longer, so if you yeah, can hang the, with these us. These are quick questions. No need to dig d- dig really deep. Let's roll. Yeah, All right, good. let's move on. All right, okay. third All right. set, rapid fire, R- fast really hands. Fast. Okay, we're going we're gonna to ask you about probably about 10 or 15 questions, then we'll call it a night because we've been with you a, a little over an hour and almost Wonderful. 20 minutes. Wonderful. All right, first I mean, how long can my wife stand there in that very exciting, thinly, Woven negligee. I mean, it's it's wilting already. Ah. Yeah. Well. Uh oh. We'll, we'll let her. We'll let. We'll let. We'll just move on. First band you saw in concert. So who's the first band you saw in concert? I mentioned it earlier. Blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. Where'd you see them at? Uh, at a tiny little venue, uh, in Roslyn, Long Island, called My Father's Mustache. My Father's Mustache. <laughs> so it was nineteen seventy eight. <laughs> And they opened up for an iconic stand-up comedian back in the 60s. This guy, he was the Seinfeld of the 60s. His name was Robert Klein. Oh, oh yeah. Klein. Robert Klein, yes. yes. That Robert is. Klein did the first really original, smart, observational humor long before Jerry, because yeah. uh, he was born. But uh, that's when I first heard Blood, Sweat, and Jizz. My father's mustache was a wonderful live entertainment venue in Roslyn, Long Island. Interesting. All right. If you could hear a band, what band would you want to hear? If you know, in, in a concert, if you could go to a concert, what city, what venue, what band? You know, all those those things rolled into one. My favorite band to listen to is that what you're saying? To no, listen to? Just if you could see a band, if you had you, say a band that you haven't seen, or if you would see Blood, Sweat, and Tears again, yeah. where nope. would, you, would you want? Who would you want to see? Who would Fred Schlesinger want to see? Ready? Yep. Steely Dan. Oh, Steely Dan, yes. I like One of my top three favorite groups of all time. I, I thought that Donald Fagan yes. and his group was so uh, cutting edge when they first came out. And they really took jazz and made it pop and hip. Yeah. And yes. I, I continue to listen to Steely Dan virtually every day. Their albums were phenomenal. Oh, they, they were well-produced. That's for your A-19, you know. Oh, oh yep. man. That, they had some great stuff. My wife is Deacon not... Deacon Blue, on yes. and on and on. Oh, yeah, they had, they had a lot of lot of hits. Okay, where would you see them at? Just, would you want to see them... Yeah, um, give us a good venue with At my sound. father's mustache. <laughs> you like that? Um, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many concerts I went to growing up in both Nassau Coliseum and oh. Madison Square Garden. The problem with these large venues is None of them are ever built for music. Right. So I, I definitely enjoyed the, the much smaller venues that held maybe a thousand or two because those were all sports palaces and the acoustics were horrible. Like American yeah. Airlines, the yeah. acoustics is terrible. Yeah. Although, yeah. although two years ago, my wife surprised me with tickets. Uh, my birthday is in January and we went to see Billy Joel at the American Airlines Center and that was amazing because Billy Joel is the consummate entertainer. Piano man and live entertainer 
on the Elton John level, huh? Hey, hey, he had a pretty good looking wife at one time too. You know, that's right. You got to give him chops for that. <laughs> Chris, frankly, well, you know, they, you know, it's funny you mentioned Elton John. They went on tour, yeah, uh, for about a year. And what I loved is they had like almost dueling pianos oh, uh, facing each other, and they would play each other's songs, which was just incredible. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how musicians, and you're a very accomplished musician. Yeah. How do you remember all that? That music. I know you you get used to playing songs and things like that, but it just it, you know if you have that talent and there's a huge difference between talent and skill, mm. it just comes out. And uh, so my very first professional gig, you ready for this, was in Hicksville, Long Island. Was my very first paid gig, uh -huh. and I had a group called the Poor Souls, and I was not only the sax player in it, but I was also the agent. I booked the gig. Oh, wow. And well, my first night playing professionally, allegedly getting paid. This was a mafia-owned joint. It was a joint. <laughs> the and poor soul. The reason, I bring up, the reason I bring up Hicksville yeah. is because that's where Billy Joel is originally from. Yeah. And that night was a horrible ice storm. No one showed up but us. And when I went in, and we played. We played to empty chairs. And when I went in to talk to the manager to get paid, Uh -huh. Like you know, Vinny Tort Tortellini, <laughs> I went into his into his office, and he goes, well, well, "What are you What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Nobody showed up. I can't pay you." I said, "But but you hired us to play, and we played. You didn't hire us to play to a full audience." Right. And he said, "So you're one of these uh, wise guys, eh?" Oh, and he starts to pull out, open the middle drawer of the desk he was behind, and as he's opening it up, you could guess what was in there. And we never got paid, of course. Yeah. We were lucky to escape with our lives. Hicksville, Long Island. I'm going back to 1966. Mm. Jeez, well, well done. You probably said that's okay. I, you know what? You, you're you're right. Yeah, we we yeah we didn't have anybody here. That's okay. We'll, we'll... Now that I think of it, can we help you clean up? <laughs> where's the Where's the mop? Where, and where's the broom? Going to find the dustbin, dustpan. Yeah, and where's the exit? <laughs> right. Yeah. You could. How old were you at that time? Oh, I was 15, 16. It oh, was, man. Uh, yeah, you're standing yeah. up to a wise guy. You're, Just a kid. Oh, man. Oh, he starts, he starts reaching for that middle drawer, and I go, okay, we're done. Thank you very much. Thank, hey, hey, no problem. This is on on us. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I had so much fun in those during those years of playing professionally. And by the way, it was right yeah. before disco hit. It was before... Uh, they had piped in music or DJs, and all they had was live. Live, yeah. And, sure. and I'm like 16, 17, 18, working my way through, at that point, college. I went to two years to a, a community school before I went to NYIT. And um, we, I was making, at 18, $1,000 cash on a weekend. Not bad. That's, that's pretty good cheese. Yeah. This is like 1968, 69, 70. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that's like two, three grand a week now. Yes, I mean that's. And it was cash, and I was I was depositing it to the bank, and the teller there, uh, all of a sudden, took a very strong liking to me because I was depositing <laughs> this cash, and it clearly wasn't my hair or my face; it was my bank account. Uh, you're a pretty handsome fella. Yeah. And as she's chewing the gum, she goes, "So, what are you doing with all that money, there, uh, Mr. Fred?" <laughs> Mr. Fred. You go. Well, <laughs> anyway, let's yeah. keep going. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, are you what are what's the movie? Do you, do you like movies? Are you a movie guy? Do you like? What, I'm what? a huge, yeah. huge movie fanatic. Fanatic. 
Really? Okay, so which, what, what do you like watching? What's your, your genre? Yeah, what do you like? Uh, my wife and I love great rom-coms. I'll give you a, one of our top three favorite uh, would be, uh, as far as rom-coms are concerned, is The Holiday. The Holiday, okay. That means neither one of you have heard of it. Uh, no, I've, I've not heard of that. Who's in the holiday? Well, okay. I'm interested in watching. Jude Law, Cameron Diaz, Jack Black. It came out about four years ago. It's a Christmas rom-com movie mm-hmm. that instantly became a classic. And, uh, I'm sorry? Kate Winslet. And what they do is these two women switch houses. One is a very successful, uh, she writes music to trailers and she, she switches a house with the English girl. And they fall in love. It's just fantastic. Uh, All-time favorite movie that every time it's on, I'm a sucker for it. For me, is Goodfellas. Oh, the best. Behind that is Casino. And then behind that is a movie that did not do well commercially, but has become a family favorite. And Eliza and Ben, all of our kids quote lines. It was one of Billy Crystal's least, least commercial successes and it was called mr saturday night i remember that yes yes yes. yeah the whole movie's a flashback it didn't do well critically or commercially but he was absolutely brilliant in the movie that that dude is just unbelievable i like billy crystal but i love those type of movies like um uh, al pacino and danny collins Hula, what are you talking about? <laughs> hey, when you, when you said rom-com originally, I, my head went to Billy Crystal, but a different movie, Harry Met Sally. Harry yeah. Met Sally was great. And who wrote the music for Harry Met Sally? Oh. Neil famous, Diamond? iconic crooner. Is it Randy? No. No. Not Randy no. Newman. Not Neil nope. Diamond. Uh, nope. Iconic, iconic, iconic. Uh, 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 oh. Louisiana. Oh, Louisiana. Oh, Harry Connick. There you go. Junior, yeah. It had to be you. Yeah. I mean, just great stuff. Yeah, we love Billy Billy Crystal in that. Um, and we, you know, we get sucked into Tom Hanks's iconic uh, movies like Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. Right. Uh, great, great movies. One, one quick side note about You've Got Mail. It was actually the remake. The original movie was made by Jimmy Stewart. And the name of that movie was Little Shop Around the Corner, not Little Shop of Horrors. And that Little was, Shop Around yeah, the Corner. And- and that they was about book, bookstores. Yes. Yep. And that was, uh, you've got mail, but originally it was about a millinery shop, and nobody knows what the word millinery means today. Oh, millinery. It's a hat, uh, a hat store. Hat yeah, store. hats, okay. Really? Millinery is a hat store? Yeah, so Barbara, as a woman, loves shoot 'em up explosions, mafia, heads chopped off, and we just saw, uh, over the last few days, a great, movie called Six Underground starring Ryan Reynolds. Six Underground. Pretty recent film, huh? It's very recent. It went right to Netflix as as the movie that Eliza's in uh, with Mark Wahlberg called Spencer Confidential went right to uh, Netflix and it zoomed to number one Netflix movie in the world. Spencer Confidential. It is on my my queue on the Netflix like the third one. And you know, these Well, add on six... Uh, Adrian had on Six Underground, and basically what it is is it's Deadpool without the costumes. Uh-huh. Interesting. I mean, yeah. if you like, so I, I'm always into the non-formula movies, you know, like a Pulp Fiction, like right. movies that nobody ever heard, like Deadpool. Right. These are movies that that are so original and so captivating 
that we love those type of we don't like formula movies. Love it. Love it. Another, another great rom-com that you probably never heard of is Music and Lyrics with Hugh Grant and uh, what's the gal's name from Fever Pitch, Barbara? Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore and Brad Garrett, who is the brother of Ray Romano. Yeah, the tall guy. Yes. Yeah, who's in, who's in a lot of stuff. He's in Single Parents. He's, he also was a stand-up comedian from Long Island, like Ray Romano, like uh, Robert Klein. And we never really got into the Catskills. Maybe if you'll have me back, I'll talk to you about the Catskills. Sure. You know we're another. having you back. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, like we could spend a, a, another hour on Strong Island, too, because you mentioned all these great names. What about uh, Public Enemy and Alec Baldwin, Jerry Seinfeld, Eddie Murphy? Yes, like that's yep. a that's a, a list coming out of your island there, pal. Absolutely, and you talk about Alec Baldwin and um, what's the one where he's the brain surgeon? He has that great uh, absence of malice. Absence of malice is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, I like him in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. That was another Glenn one. Gary, Glenn Ross. You know, I saw that play. It's a, it's a uh, it's a Mamet play. Yeah, David Mamet. Yeah, David Mamet. And I saw the play on Broadway, and the cast is so incredibly iconic. Jack Lemmon and yes. Alec Baldwin, and on and on. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, he was you in. Say, that... You say I got a god complex. You don't know what a god complex <laughs> is. is. <laughs> don't look at my watch. You can't look at my watch. This watch makes you know, it's more than you know, what you make in a year. <laughs> yes, ABC, always be close. Closing. Right. Coffee is for Cadillacs closing. are for winners. Yeah. Steak knives are for second place. Yeah. Excellent. No, he was such a great actor. Still is. 15 Still minutes. Is. We, we, oh, oh, so speaking of all-time great rom-coms, uh -huh. It's Complicated, starring oh. Alec Baldwin. He's yes. brilliant. Yes, That's another one. Yes, Steve yeah. Martin, Steve Martin, Meryl, uh, Meryl Streep. Yeah. I mean, so brilliant. Steve Martin's great in oh. it, but he, he takes a back seat to Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Is, is, is he an underrated musician, Steve Martin? Just thinking of musician. Uh, no, he no, he's he's a fantastic uh, banjo player. Fantastic. Oh, I, know he is. I know. No, he's he's an unbelievable entertainer. Yeah. I, I've heard him play the banjo before. And I'm like. That dude's is unbelievable. I mean, and if you ever get a chance, I think they're coming back to Dallas. You want to see Steve Martin and Martin Short, oh, and yeah. they are brilliant together. And if your listeners are uh, don't know Martin Short beyond SNL and Ed Grimley, oh. he is obviously one of the funniest, most creative comedians there is today. I, I always enjoyed uh, his later work, like when he was Jiminy Glick. That killed oh, me. Yeah. That still killed me. And <laughs> Fred, Fred, I must tell you, I have a, my son is looking at colleges, and of one of the colleges, the admissions director, his name happens to be Stephen Martin. So I said, you know, that's great that you're emailing with him. You know, please do ask him about growing up in Babylonia, moving to Arizona, <laughs> having a condo, you know, made of stona. Uh, <laughs> the only Josh problem is, like, is the guidance counselor spells his name S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Martin. That's the only problem. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, yeah, Steve Martin was awesome. I mean, we could go on and on. We really could. All right, we got two more questions, you know, and I'll answer okay. them quickly. Yeah, yeah, any more questions? We want, want to do... All right, so we're going to make this kind of topical, all right? Yep. This is a, a quarantine question, all right? If you were quarantined with five people other than your family, you can't have your family there, who would those five people be? You ready? Yep. Yeah. Moses. Oh, Moses. excellent. Okay. So you didn't think I was going religious on no, this television? No, 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 Moses, absolutely Mel Brooks. Oh, yes. I, 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 I love him. Um, 
Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Mm, okay. A Yankee. Yeah, but but he transcends the sport. Yes. The Bambino was definitely he was larger than life in in his time. Mm. Yeah. The most uh, popular. Was he, yeah, this was he he was probably uh, the most popular iconic athlete of his time. Yeah, he was he, you could call him he was uh right up there with Michael Jordan. What Michael Jordan was to basketball or is to basketball, Babe Ruth was to baseball. And baseball is one of my deepest, deepest passions. So I'd say to be able to spend time with, with uh, Babe Ruth, uh the other one would be John F. Kennedy. Oh yes. I would give anything to have heard about his non-White House escapades, anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, that, yeah. And then one more. One more. We got Moses, Brooks, Babe Ruth, and JFK. One more. Wow. Boy. Um, we go deep. We go deep. It, we're going deep. It's a small island. Right. Um, I, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go uh, uh, cerebral here. Uh, uh, Jonas Salk. Oh, Ooh. the vaccine. Yes, penicillin man, Excellent. right? Change, change the face of the world Yes, with, with his creation. We need a Jonas Salk right now. Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, we need something yeah. to figure out what's you. going on yeah, with this thing that we've got going yeah. on at, at this point. So that's a pretty diverse group, would you say? Oh, diverse yeah. group, uh, topical and uh, poignant. Well done, my friend. You've been an absolute blast. And that, we got to Oh, sorry. One last question. Sorry, one, CB. I, yes. I want to do one last Last question, because we do this always at the very end. Yeah. If, if you were the commissioner of the great game, you've he got bas- the, He basically is. He is. We, we call him the commissioner. We'll, <laughs> start calling no, him the Adrian, commission. you are. I'm the, I'm the assistant to you. <laughs> I get to hold open your door. So if, if you could wave the magic tennis wand and make one change, what would it be? One change, you know, what would you do, if any? Mm. About, about tennis. We always ask this, this question at, at the very end. That's our, that's our parting question. Um, g- give me two because one one is a kind of a throwaway. Give okay. me two, if you okay, will. Okay, two. That's fine. Uh, get rid of that stupid uh, serving clock. I hate it. Interesting. Okay, that'd be. Uh, it, yeah, it I agree with that. Away, you know, it's like I, 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 I also hate it. No. What they're trying to do to baseball to speed it up? No. <laughs> the the sport was created for a reason. The way it was created, and stop rushing these guys. You know these guys are world class athletes, and stop rushing the pitchers and stop rushing the servers. And and while you know that's not a huge change, but I think it's just stupid, and it should be eliminated. Okay, the clock, the shot clock. You don't like the shot clock. And what's the second one? Yeah. Oh boy. Um. Wow. <laughs> See, we're getting we're getting, we get we get deep in these things, you know. Yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah, I would, I would, um, I would eliminate the five set majors. Interesting. We have not had that. Interesting. Because, because you know, you play virtually a whole year with a three set format, and, and I understand that the majors is delineated by the five sets, and you can see changes are coming. You know, in the tiebreaker, and, and each one is taking on a different personality. But these guys and women—well, it's not the women; only yeah. the men have the five set. You know, they—they're—they're they're just pushed to the max, and to push them into a fourth and fifth set, I just think it's unfair. And if you can't come up with a winner in a three-set contest, then 
you know, what's the point of it? And, and what it comes down to is physicality and, and uh, endurance and not as much tennis. It's, you know, in today's world, it's, you know, it's how long you can endure those final two sets, particularly in the hot weather like a Wimbledon or a U.S. Open. So I, I'd say that, that that would be it. But I, I love tennis the way it is. I don't think they, they really should look to change it. And, and not fix something that's not really broken. And um, I can't wait for tennis and all sports to be back and for them to uh, put this uh, virus in our rearview mirror and get back to normal life. Yeah, no, here, here on that. That's uh, Amen, pal. Yeah, Thank we're, you. We're, uh, we wish we could have had this on Facebook Live because it would have been fun to yeah. have done this and then have you in the studio. Next time, we'll have you in the studio yeah. with us. We'll definitely have you have you back at some point uh, here, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, depending on your schedule and, and, and our schedule. But uh, we definitely want to have you back yeah, for a return. Well, I appreciate that. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, NY4Fred, and my sign-off is always keep swinging. There you go. That's Keep all. swinging, Fred. Big thanks. You're the yeah. best. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Love we'll it. We'll talk to you later. Have a great Thank night. Thank you. Well, everybody, that was very entertaining, wasn't it? Boy, yeah. It was entertaining for our listeners, and uh, I hope you can hear it in our voices. That was a blast for oh, us. Oh, that's probably one of the most, yeah. the most, uh, the episodes I probably laughed the most. Uh, <laughs> I, I, my, my face is tired. <laughs> what a guy. Well, a couple of things really quick before we go. Let's let's say a shout out to uh, got a couple of birthdays of note. Yes. Uh, uh, we had BMS uh, on the 23rd yesterday. That would be Bethany Maddox Sands, an unbelievable correct. player, probably. And I didn't put this on our little birthday post, but one of the comeback stories of the past year and a half. I think so. After yeah. that knee injury, the horrific knee injury oh. at Wimbledon, boy, you could just hear it in her. Her, her uh, it was almost like a primal scream when when that knee dislocated just got out of the socket it was oh it was awful that was just a couple of years ago so happy birthday bms uh, julia cohen is also her birthday oh yeah uh, when, and we've got her father coming up in a couple of couple of weeks uh, dr richard cohen so shout out to julia cohen today we have marion vita he the big marion vita oh, coach vita and Kathy Rinaldi, also uh, born this day in 1967. So we appreciate uh, uh, everybody uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening to Season 1, Episode 33 of At The Net Podcast with Fred Schlesinger. Be sure to tell a friend or friends as we like your peeps, and hopefully they'll like us. And that's the tennis news as it seems to us. Good evening from Dallas, Texas. <laughs>